Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. On the planet. With your host, Paul Murphy, and expert coach, Nick Nanavati. Hello and welcome everyone to the Art of War podcast. My name is Paul, your host. I got Nick Nanavati here with me. What's up, everybody? Good to be back. And we're joined by Matt Geyer. Hey, how's it going? It's Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. You're fresh off your win in San Diego at the Games Workshop US Open Series Warhammer 40,000 event. We are very happy to have you. This is an interesting thing for us because Nick and I were also both there getting to talk about the game. We got to see some of this unfold and really going to have a good time breaking it down with you. Yeah, I'm excited as well. Yeah, it was a pleasure getting to watch your games and commentate them. You really knew your talent side now. I appreciate that. This is part one of a two-part show. We're going to have a discussion about your list, about some of the tactics, how you approach the game. We're going to talk about some cool combos that you might have. Yeah, this is, I think right now, everyone thinks that Tau has been pretty good. The numbers have been on the rise, a representation of tournaments. You toppled the Tyranid Menace. I did, I did. Yeah, that was um, the premise of the tournament. Can you beat the Tyranids? Uh, well, tell us what's in your list, and then we'll we'll kind of walk through some of the tech. Awesome, yeah. So I went ahead and took two patrol detachments, and I was a uh, Tau Sept. I didn't want to get all fancy with the other Septs. Tau Sept gives you a lot of options, a lot of cool character access, so I wanted to take advantage of that. So that was the the first step of my, my list design. Second step, I guess, would be uh, filling out the detachments. I knew I wanted a Cold Star, and I knew I wanted an Enforcer Commander. They both bring amazing uh, tech to the list. The uh, Enforcer Commander, I went with the Punchy Guy. He gives an obsec to a, a unit of Crisis Suits. Uh, I took three units of Crisis Suits. Each of them were equipped the same, double plasma burst, and then they had three drones, three shield drones, and one marker drone in each of them, coming out to about 321 points per unit. I had Shadow Sun, I had Long Strike, and then a commander in the Cold Star battlesuit with the vectored maneuvering thrusters, so it could give me a little bit of movement shenanigans. Took the DW-02 advanced burst cannon there, and that tech was specifically for the Eldar matchup if I had to deal with one of those Phoenix Lords where they limit the amount of wounds you can do, and I might actually have the ability to take one down uh, in a single phase. What's that thing do? Just uh... Yeah, so the DW-02 advanced burst cannon is a uh, advanced systems upgrade you can give if you have a burst cannon on one of your crisis battle suits or one of your cold star battle suits and what that does is it ignores things that stop wounds from going through like feel no pains or wound caps and with eldar being such a problem uh, for tau sometimes i needed to take that just so that you can have one of those little tricksy characters that limit your wounds to three per phase hiding in the backfield causing mayhem Gotcha. Then I had a long strike, obviously, because long strike gives a lot of good tech. A hammerhead. Uh, so I had two rail guns in the list. I had the ethereal Anva, which is the Tau specific ethereal. Uh, yeah, we got to break that down. That's a named character. Uh, have not been seeing him very often recently. Yeah, um, you know it. Anva is is great. It's got uh, two ethereal guards with it. It's got a lot of wounds. It's minus one to wound in combat or, and shooting. So it's actually kind of a, a tanky little character. And it knows three evocations and can cast two. Obviously, I pretty much just cast the Sense of Stone, five up feel no pain, and the um, plus one CP. It also knows, uh, I also took it with the ability to know, do an action and shoot. So I had two options of do action and shoot in the army just to kind of round out what those crisis suit units could do. And then I had a Supreme Command attachment with Shadow Sun as my Warlord and two units of Kroot, 10 Kroot, which were MVPs in a lot of games. Never leave home without the Kroot. Kroot are good. I painted 30 two days before the tournament. Nice. So Matt, 
why, I guess, but the Utalis, it looks like, you know, Talus has got tons of crisis suits with a lot of different guns, commanders, your basic crew. I think a big question with Tau is kind of what configuration do you go with and, and why? So I guess we'll start there with your army list. Why did you go with these units and these weapon loadouts? Well, I'd say the first thing to consider is what type of tournament you're playing. I've played a lot of frontline events. Uh, this is my first GW event to ever play in. And I just looked at the, the map and I looked at the missions and there are basically big L pieces or just big one-story, two-story runes that block line of sight that really dominate the table. So I knew my list needed three things. It needed to be maneuverable, it needed to be lethal, and it needed to be durable. Well, I can get maneuverable and lethal with the crisis suits. And with the terrain and the drones, they can be pretty durable. That was really the biggest thing I did to create this list. As far as loadouts for them, double plasma and burst. Burst for the number of shots. I mean, that's just volume of fire. You're going to take, you can kind of take anything down with volume of fire. It doesn't matter what it is. They'll fail two up saves eventually. So the list had over 100 burst cannon shots in it. And the most efficient weapon in the Tau Codex right now is the plasma rifle. It's 30 inch range. It's damage three, AP four, and, you know, strength eight. It's just a great weapon. So I took 33, 34 of those. And anybody taking 33 plasma to the face is going to die. Did you have any problem killing something or like was it pretty much what you got line of sight to it? It died. Um, yeah, I actually had uh, I had problems killing Tyranids for sure. They uh, they were they're just surprisingly tanky. You know, I would fire an entire unit of crisis into them with rerolls and plus to wound and marker light. They're, they're completely tooled up and the unit of warriors just lives with taking only three, three casualties. It's, it's incredible. Crazy. Yeah. Well, in part two, we're definitely going to get through all your matchups and how you how you actually found ways to defeat not one, but multiple Tyranids throughout the tournament. I'm sure that's a topic everyone's eager to hear. Uh, but overall, I would say the, uh, the, the list is extremely lethal. And against a normal opponent, um, whether it's the Tau Mirror or uh, Space Marines or Knights, the Crisis units are just so strong and so lethal, so maneuverable, they really kind of carry the day. So one thing, I mean, it's clear the Crisis units are the, are the workhorse of your army, the Plasma burst cans just destroying everything did you have trouble keeping them alive how did you play them to basically allow them to keep on shooting or was it just one big turn into the game every time um it really depended on the armies that i was facing really i looked at it as do i need these crises to go out and do things and if so you know they're somewhat expendable at that point at least all i really need is one crisis unit kind of alive doing things throughout the game the other two i can kind of trade away is necessary and a you know a 320 point unit is not something to throw away lightly but you know if something scary enough is coming straight down the uh the pipe uh, you need something to stop it in crisis they they've got a good footprint and they got a lot of wounds to chew through so you can throw them out and it's okay if they go down uh, this sounds uh, rough to hear though it's like uh, no one wants to lose all that yeah it is pretty sad when a crisis unit evaporates before their time how do you make that threat assessment though really uh, i look at my opponent how many units they have how many units I have. I think I had 11 units total in the list. And then the distri distribution of threats that my opponent has, are they a lot of little small threats that can be taken care of kind of all at once in different, like in like one big shooting phase, or it's a couple of big threats that really need to be focus fired, say like a night player or, you know, just large monsters that have to go down one at a time. 
So it looks to me like you've really focused on raw damage with your tower army. Not just have you brought the tons of cry suits with the with optimal loadouts. You've also brought long strike and another hammerhead and shadow sun. I assume the the hammerheads there are for generic anti tank and monster, but anything specific they were hunting. Yeah, I mean the uh, the hammerheads are pretty much in there for the maliceptors or the hive tyrant that gets out of line or the carnifex. I mean one of those. If, if I get a little lucky. You know, I can pick up a Carnifex a turn or a I can do a lot of damage to a knight player. And they, unfortunately, with the way the terrain works out, they can't really avoid that damage. The damage is very reliable because you get to reroll one hit. You get to reroll one wind with Tau. So it's, you know, going to go through about 75% of the time. With that said, though, felt like it failed a little more than it should have. It always yeah. does. Well, was it, does it feel that way or are you only remembering those things? You know, there is a little negative feeling bias, I guess, but sometimes it, it definitely, you're like, man, these things are scary, but they, the, the throughput isn't as, as bad as some people think. Well, they're a controversial choice. A lot of people, I know, I've seen people run four of them with long strike and three, and I've seen people run zero. I know, um, you know, Richard Ziegler doesn't really run any typically. So what's your thought process there is it just tearing it help or uh do you like them whether they're good for your all tournament i think two is the right number especially if you can run long strike in there because uh, long strike gives out some other buffs uh, like long strike can make one of my crisis units count as having a marker light and then it's a nine inch aura so you really have a lot of footprint with that ability or a nine inch command ability um a really big footprint to give that out someone that really needs it and that can really up your damage output in a critical turn but really it's just they're scary opponents don't like them they see them on the table and they know that they can't get hit with one of those but they don't know exactly how to get to it because the range is so far and if you know if i keep it back and it doesn't really do any damage there's still that threat the opponent has to consider and it really drives a lot of decisions that your opponent makes and it it can lead them to making the wrong choice a lot of times that's one thing i actually noticed about watching you play during the live event you and mark ferrick the other top player in the semifinals both did this a lot with their hammerheads you guys kept them really conservative often not going for like a prime target or or great line of sight angles or even high them and opting not to shoot in certain turns i guess just to keep the threat alive for later turns in the game how do you i think a lot of players get fixated on just taking the shots when you can what made you make that choice the the way that the missions play you don't need to max your points every turn you don't need to kill something every turn to do well or have a good game really you need to just whittle your opponent's threat capabilities down while keeping yours alive as long as possible. And, you know, a hammerhead misses out on turn of shooting, then so be it. You know, it's still a threat that the opponent doesn't want to get line of sight into, and then it affects their movement, and uh, as most of us know, movement is the most important part of the game. I think you just took a shot at me, Nick. <laughs> I mean, I only preach that every single game a few times a minute, Paul. <laughs> No, you're exactly right. I mean, how do you negotiate that with the Tau? I mean, I know you have some some fast-moving threats, but you're kind of designed almost to move like as a castle, like when you decide to split up or jump on the other side of the table or even come in from the other side of the table. Uh, really, that decision is made by my opponent. My opponents, you know, have gone anywhere from they hide in the corner because they're so scared of the Tau, and then I just take over the board and... It's kind of a foregone conclusion at that at that time, or they are super aggressive and come at me and I have to kind of spend most of my time running away or screening or even moving, move blocking some larger units um, and, you know, trading away some of my more key units for a play maybe that I can make later on. So really, it's it's matchup dependent, mission and terrain dependent. Luckily, with the GW terrain, it really gave a good advantage to a infantry unit that has fly and that can shoot and move, you know, multiple times in a turn. 
You've mentioned the GW terrain as a factor to your list creation a, a few times. Do you think your list is like tailored specifically for GW terrain? Could it work in other formats? Would you make any changes? I've run it in frontline player place terrain, and it's it's very good. It's it's very lethal. But my opponent has a lot more agency in my lines of fire and the firing arcs and uh, the objectives that they can protect. Uh, so it kind of diminishes some of that shoot and move value, and I have to be a little more. Um, there's just more things for me to consider mid game than. Uh, uh, I would with the GW terrain where it's kind of preset and I don't, that factor is taken away. Do you think that's like an element of the fact that there's only two layouts where it's like in front player placed, it could be like a million different boards functionally? You know, player placed, it, it, it adds a level of complexity. I think both are very valuable ways to play the game. It does add a level of um, survivability to certain armies with a with a good general that kind of knows where they're they're putting their terrain. They knows knows the strengths of their army. It can limit some of my efficiencies. I do prefer, I think, the preset terrain. That way, you know, it kind of telegraphs what folks are getting into so they know how to build their list when they get there. But also, do you like the complexity of player placed terrain? Do you have, I guess, a favorite? You know, 95% of my games have all been played on player placed. Um, so I really enjoy that. It's just another phase that you can interact with your opponent on. And the game with the way you place your terrain, I mean, it can be decided in just that step as well. So I, I really enjoy that. But it was fun. It was refreshing. And I, I really did enjoy not having to worry about it going into the, the game. It's like, it's already set up. I don't really have to mess with it. All I got to do is place these objectives and then let's go. So that, that was refreshing. It kind of helped with tournament fatigue, you know, on that eighth round. How big of a change were you know, like the recent balance updates and things like with indirect fire did you make from your list previously to now? Well, luckily, I wasn't really playing Tau that much when the indirect fire was kind of in its heyday. It was just oppressive. I think I played one game. I had, you know, all the air bursting fragmentation cannons. It was just uninteractable and it wasn't fun. It, it, it was not enjoyable. I just, you know, you just pick up your opponent and they can't do anything. So I'm super happy with the changes. And I, I kind of like the way that indirect fire is now where there is a there is a price, there is a penalty to using it. But didn't change my list that much because I really hadn't played very many games with the indirect fire. I think a lot of Tau players struggle with terrain and just people hiding in a lot of sight. And the indirect fire have really made Tau's take a step back because they couldn't just mindlessly blow people up from wherever they are. How do you mitigate people hiding from you? Like you have all this oppressive firepower, but if the objectives fall behind line of sight blocking terrain or in your player place terrain formats where they just are behind terrain, how do you actually control the primary at all? Well, that one's where my list kind of works, right? You can only hide so long from 18-inch moving crisis suits with 30-inch range plasma. They're going to get to you. They may not get to you turn one, but they're going to get to you. And if you're if you're turtled up, then I can kind of expand. I can go to the objectives, and I can make you have to make a move. As long as I'm screening effectively, then your move's going to basically be where I want you to be, and I can get those firing arcs and lines of fire just a little bit later in the game. So it's kind of like you put your opponent between a catch-22 where they go out there and fight you and then you just kill them or they hide but then you take the board which kind of forces them to go fight you and then you just kill them that's correct that's a very potent strategy yeah it seems like no win there <laughs> well that's the point with the list the, the list is you know it is a tournament list right it is uh it's not super friendly uh 15 crisis suits i think it's got 18 suits total it's very very optimized yeah, definitely. I mean, hopefully players don't just take this to their friendly local game store for pairing and pickup games, but for tournament play. And, and if you're clear with your opponents about practicing like that, like it's definitely a list you want to be aware of and you're very likely to encounter it after your win, Matt. So I think it's definitely something people need to be aware of. Yeah, I agree. And it, it really, 
takes takes advantage of some of the most important uh, keywords in the game, right? Infantry and fly. You get so many buffs from those. In most of my games, if someone charged me, I would set up my units in such a way where they can overwatch on fives, and that's very, very strong with a lot of plasma. How do you do that? Um, so yeah, if you have the infantry keyword, if your uh, unit is wholly within uh, a rune, uh, you can do what's called uh, hold steady or set to defend if you want plus one to hit. But hold steady will give you overwatch on fives. And if I've set it up right where my opponent's only real thing to charge is the unit that I want them to charge, then they've got full rerolls from Shadow Sun, and hopefully we're in turn three, and I'm in the Cal Young, the kind of souped up shooting phase where uh, fives or sixes would explode and now pretty much every hit is double hits and you know now you're taking 10 plasma shots to the face on your charge and you're probably not surviving that i do remember you actively putting units into ruins specifically for uh the hold steady rule it's really cool to see that's a really underutilized rule so many folks forget about some of those set to defense and, and that kind of stuff it's v- very unutilized let's talk about the crew i know we talked a little bit about them during the game and how you know they have an, they have a profile that is a little bit more impressive than than maybe some people realize but they also have a lot of advantages like movement wise deployment wise before you answer that matt i want to talk about the crew because when i was a kid i wanted to grow up and become a crew they're like my favorite unit in 40k so you better do them justice right here and not get them killed (laughs) all right well uh i would say uh First of all, Crute have great hair. Kind of got a little Super Saiyan hair going on uh, with with the Crute. I painted mine kind of yellow gold, uh, harken to Goku. That's what I like to hear. And that's what they were. They were superstars and Super Saiyans. Uh, Crute are great because they're cheap. Uh, 60 points for a unit of 10. They pregame move, and so they impact the board state multiple times. One in the pregame move, and two, they've got a 7-inch move, which is further than people give them credit for. So they're able to really get places where they shouldn't be getting, cause, cause some trouble there. Putting them in reserve is cheap. You can put, you know, two units of crew in reserve for one CP, not that bad. Um, and then they give you a lot of options later on. Yeah, and their objective secured. I, I know, like, I've been on the receiving end of crew just moving seven bef- right as the game starts, then moving and advancing again. I'm like, why are you on my objectives? Can you leave? Not to get too much into the tournament, but there was a, a funny interaction where I was able to raise five banners in uh, turn one. <laughs> That's uh, a lot of banners. <laughs> my crew were able to just go wherever they wanted to go. Talk about making your opponent come have to take down your banners and then just die to all your guns. Oh my god. The, uh, the opponent was a castle list and they wanted to stay and I was like, well, you're going to have to take these banners down. That's a great way to do it. I, I think a people, to, to go off tangent because we'll get to your secondaries in just a minute, one of the coolest things about Raise the Banners as a secondary is it's not just a way to score points but it can draw people towards you and bring them break out of their castle because otherwise you are just going to score all these points really passively. So I love that you use that with Tau kind of to bait people out of there. While we're on the right. subject, why don't we just jump right into secondaries? Yeah, I was about to say let's let's talk about you know do you have any secondaries that you that your go tos you know you know you're always taking your list is built towards or around and then let us know when you might mix it up. Uh yeah, so secondaries um, at least for my army I kind of built it around to the last for the crisis units just to give me that ability if I did have a very castly opponent kind of death guard or big death wing terminator block where they're just going to sit in a spot okay well i'll just sit in a spot too um and then i'll shoot you and hopefully you know the lethality of the list will take the day so really i I started out with okay give myself a to the last option stranglehold is always a good pick on five objective missions uh, just because it's so strong you know it just scores at the end of the player turn it's it's fairly easy to get one of the factors in stranglehold was i gave my hammerheads and long strike gun drones because you can detach the gun drones in the command phase and then they can go and they can sit on that middle objective 
and get your stranglehold and you risk nothing like sure they kill a uh two gun drones but those gun drones were you know technically free they cost you a cp to give you three points um and i use that in several matchups and it just kept me completely safe for two turns i was able to hold uh you know the middle objective basically scot-free that's a really good tech was that a list design choice or is that something you just kind of found as a nifty little perk um that was kind so it, it was it was a bonus because i was like man it's really hard to 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 fit all this army into these into these points you know i've got two thousand points i think the list ended up being 1999 couldn't quite get to 2000 um, like party i know it was great year great year so it was just kind of a happy medium where i was like you know what i could actually you know there's actually some mobility from this so i was i was actually really surprised at how well they performed because uh, i used it once in a practice game and they just kind of went and did their own thing and nobody really wanted to mess with them and they ended up scoring up like 10 points of primary on their own just two little lonely gun yeah, drones count the drones <laughs> yeah well, so people they, they, great. they run out of things to shoot at i mean like it's priority like where do they rank on the prior, uh, prioritization scale you know that's got to be a things like do i want to waste something on these drones which we all know drones sometimes just don't die it's true sometimes they don't and uh they they'll take mortal wounds they'll get in the way they can do a little move blocking sometimes they're hard to see uh just because they're such a small footprint so yeah it was uh it was kind of purpose built and kind of a happy accident of me just not having enough points to put in an advanced burst cannon and those are your normal go-tos for secondaries yeah i would say um to the last stranglehold and then um i i like banners a lot uh, just because you can kind of force your opponent to interact um and then the tau specific of uh, aerospace target relays um i use that a couple of times that's more of a win more secondary though because as long as i'm alive at the end i can pretty much max it because you can you can score it all at the same turn so you don't really there's not a lot of pressure on you turn one and two to score those you can make it up so that that one was decent if you don't think banners is going to be a good choice for you i noticed in the games i watched you play matt you actually deviated from this kind of preset plan you took engage in all fronts in one tier and match and i think divisive action in the other what makes you pick a different plan and go off the norm here hold that thought before we do that let's take a little bit of a station identification break and then we'll come right back and jump into that like what you're listening to be sure to check out the second part of this episode where we break down specifically how our guest plays against all the top armies in the game. Want even more awesome Warhammer content? Check out the War Room. The War Room. You'll gain access to the minds of the best Warhammer players in the world with brand new content every single week. Join our amazing community, elevate your game, and enjoy your hobby more. Thanks for joining us through that. We are back. Got Matt Guy here and Nick Nanavati. What's up? What's up, everybody? Hey, how's it going? We were talking about the secondaries and the choices and then uh, when to, you know, find a new plan. You know, when old reliable may not match the situation right in front of you, what do you choose? And we got to see this play out, is what, um, Nick, you were just mentioning. Yeah, in the semifinals and finals, Matt went off his normal stranglehold to the last and vantage plan twice and not even in the same way. So I was really curious what spurred these choices. Yeah, so um, I, I did have to go off the rails a little bit uh, in this. When you when you look at your the Tyranid army, it's just it's so overwhelming. I, I like to think of the Tyranids as a tidal wave, and you can fight the tidal wave all you want, and you're just going to drown. And so my normal kind of take you know swap and take the the center and keep my units alive and kind of plinky off the edges 
won't really work because they're just going to spread out and they're going to take everything over. So I thought if I can give up turns one and two to my opponent and then really take over on turn three, four, and five, I, I would have a, a shot. And so that really in- changed how I designed my list, kind of bring them forward and then take the periphery. And that's how I uh, kind of took those secondaries because uh, I know my army is very mobile and uh, with reserves and with certain tech to let me uh, kind of replace models on the uh, the board state. Um, at different times that are very small footprints. They can get me those engage uh, points when my opponent doesn't think I have the capability. Yeah, it's really cool that your army can be so fluid in its secondary choice. I think I personally view Tau as a very original army. It just moves around and shoots you and it tries to execute its plan over and over and over again. But you make it seem a lot more fluid than that is that a stylistic choice for you or is or do you think that's just how tau should be played uh well you got to do damage in all in all phases uh in all uh, all parts of the uh the game uh just the way the state goes tau you know they're not the punchiest but i do have some punchy options and that really helps you know the crew they they do more than people think there's it's just volume of attacks that the crew can give uh same thing with the suits the crisis suits volume attacks no ap but strength five attacks are going to get through you know one or two or three and uh, opponents can fail saves and then uh the you know the the super punchy robot enforcer commander is a, a great piece of tech that you need you just you need something in your list that's going to do a little bit of melee otherwise you're too dimensional and your opponents can capitalize on that i think a lot of people still haven't come to grips with the fact that tau can participate in the combat phase can you break down this melee commander for us it's probably one of my favorite commanders, the Enforcer Commander. You you can make it with the Cold Star. You, it's really any flavor that you want. But I prefer the Enforcer because the Enforcer has an innate minus one to damage that kind of keeps it alive a little more, keeps it punching longer. The movement's less, uh, so the movement's eight inches, uh, but you you can give it an Iridium suit, so it can have a two-up save. You can give it the Thermoneutronic Projector, which is an advanced upgrade to the Tau Flamer. So it's going to have a great Flamer in the uh, shooting phase. It's a strong Strength 4, AP 2, 2 damage flamer with D6 plus 2 shots. And then it can be used as a melee weapon in the melee phase, in the fight phase of the game, and it's got the same profile. D6 plus 2 attacks, it's going to be Strength 4, AP 2, 2 damage. Then you can equip your uh, your Enforcer Commander with the Onager Gauntlet, and the Onager Gauntlet is uh, gives you Strength 12, it's AP 4, damage 3. You got 4 attacks, and then you take the Warlord trait, Precision of the Hunter, reroll everything. You're rerolling hit and wound, and pretty much you're you're going to get through at least 80% of all your attacks. They're they're going to land. And the opponent just has to take a lot of saves and uh you can take down a lot of things with that commander in the shooting phase and in the uh the melee phase cuz I also equipped it with two plasma. So it's got two plasma, the flamer. So it's just incredible threat. What's his most honorable kill? I must know. Oh man, so this is uh this is probably my <laughs> favorite uh kill. Honorable or prestigious kill? Uh I would say heroic kill. Heroic. Yeah, he, he, he just watched his uh, crisis retinue uh, just killed in front of him uh, by the, the swarm of Tyranid warriors. He goes out, he gets a, a vengeance for him. One slips through and kills his best friend, Longstrike. Longstrike blows up. It's terrible. He, he takes vengeance, takes out the Tyranid warrior, rounds the corner, and there's a big Carnifex roaring him in the face. Uh, and uh, he shoots some guys behind the Carnifex because he knows that's for the greater good. And then he goes and he punches and sacrifices himself into this Carnifex. Takes the Carnifex down to two wounds, and the Carnifex kills him. But right before he kills him, he uh, presses the failsafe detonator switch. It says, for the greater good, blows himself up, blows the Carnifex up, saves the day. It's so funny because I literally watched this happen on stream the other day. That's awesome. <laughs> what a hero. Yeah, so cinematic. 
You can make a movie off of this guy. If you want to watch this guy in his movie, Starver's Own Show, you can check it. It's the San Diego Finals from the U.S. Open. Paul Murphy and I had the pleasure of commentating. It's the U.S. Open San Diego Finals. Twitch.tv slash Warhammer. That's the link. When that was happening, did you both know what was about to happen? Like, what were the series of events that basically made that come together? So uh, I was looking at it, and my my right flank was about to collapse to this uh, this Carnifex. Um, I was going to get back there. I was going to probably take an objective, get to Shadow Sun, and um, kill my Ethereal, um, and take it a take my home objective probably from me, or at least cause a lot of issues with it. Um, so I, I knew I had to do something. Uh, my crisis suits that were blocking the way evaporated a little quicker than I anticipated. And then I got pretty unlucky with some long strike damage where it like died to a single Tyranid warrior and then blew up. So really I was like, okay, I've got to make a move here. The move is get the crisis uh, or the enforcer commander up the field close to this Carnifex and kill the, the big threat, which was these venom thropes behind it because he's so accurate that he's going to probably going to be able to kill these things and then do as much damage, maybe kill the, the Carnifex, but probably not do as much damage to it as possible so that maybe I can get it some other way. Um, that same turn, I had to charge in with some crisis units into a Malice Scepter to finish it off. And I thought, well, if they're both at low wound counts, I might be able to detonate a suit and uh, finish it off. So that was the, uh, the game plan there, uh, just to kind of bolster that right flank that I had while protecting some of my uh, home field objectives. That was pretty impressive, yeah. I love that it goes in line with the whole idea of your Tau. You play it very kind of go-with-the-flow fluid style and, and react to whatever the situation demands, or and you try to tailor your strategy to that kind of play. And this guy fits perfectly, because sometimes you just need a different type of tool. That's exactly what this guy is. He, he kind of sounds like brutal and cunning all by himself, but that it, this we are to the section, finally, uh, where we're talking about like what are some amazing combos that you have like what do you is there anything that you make sure that you just keep in your back pocket as far as like cp stratagems go like i know that i need to keep a couple of command points just for these tricks something to give me an advantage something to flip something the other way yeah so uh tau is kind of fortunate at least how i play my list where it's not super cp hungry uh you're not gonna you're not gonna see a tau player normally you use five cp in a turn uh, unless they're doing a lot of re-rolls which sometimes is you know, required. But for the most part, there's there's a couple of staples that you're going to want to use, especially with Crisis. They're infantry with fly. Um, and it's the uh, the fire and fade stratagem. The name is escaping me right now. But they're, they're allowed to shoot. And as long as they were the first unit to shoot, then they can make a six-inch normal move. And that is just incredibly key. Always... Pretty much every every turn, I'm going to say, this unit's going to do it. I may not actually do it, but I'm going to say that they can do it. Spin, go ahead and spin the CP just because the uh, the flexibility of having a unit that can shoot you and then run away with no kind of repercussions is uh, extremely valuable. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the plus one to wound stratagem that Tau give is also very helpful. You know, you're shooting a big scary monster that's toughness eight and can only be wounded on fours. Well, strength five burst cannons can actually get through them. Is CP management a factor for your Tau army? Are you ever concerned about running low or spending too much on strike and fade? Yes, so strike and fade, yeah. Um, I would say yes, uh, but on Va helps tremendously with that. You know, on a 2+, plus, I'm going to gain an extra CP, so I'm gaining 2 CP per, per uh, my player turn, and that kind of sustains me throughout the game. Um, I, I, I run out of CP every now and then, but it's, ne- it's never a really big I- issue. I'm able to uh, kind of meter it out as, a ne- as needed. Uh, just just being mindful that if I'm spending, you know, three to four CP in a turn, then I've got to have a plan or 
um, the the action needs to have resolved uh, in my favor. I would say the big CP moment would be when uh, a unit of crisis suits comes down, then I use the drop zone clear uh, stratagem. And that's three CP. That's that's a big investment, but it's normally worth it. What does drop zone clear go again? Um, so uh, a unit of uh, suits will drop down from Manta Strike or their uh, kind of deep strike mechanic. And uh, in a turn at which they uh, come in from Manta Strike, they get to reroll all hits. That seems pretty good, especially if you're in Kalyan. And then you... Wait, uh, how many CP? Uh, so it, it should be three CP for a unit of five suits. It is not cheap. I was just saying, though, it's it's so powerful, especially if you're in Kalyan, because then you get those exploding sixes, fives, and fours as the game continues. Uh, did you take Kalyan every time? Um, I did not. Uh, there was one time I took Montka, um, and it was uh, beneficial. Uh, the way that the terrain and most of the time my opponents played is I knew that they weren't. I was going to have no targets turn one. Um, and if I've got no targets turn one, that's the most powerful phase for Montka. It's better just to take Cal Young. That makes sense. And that's playing kind of a bar part of the W terrain. If your opponent's going to be behind the terrain hiding for the first couple turns, no point in being buffed up. Yep, and then it just uh, the longer the game goes on, the and as long as my units are alive, the stronger I get, and the uh, more brutal my shooting phase can be. Did that kind of factor into your play? Like you're trying to make the game mostly happen on turns three, four, and five, so you're taking secondaries that slow it down, like to the last or aerospace relays or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my my game plan was, uh, like I said, give my opponent turn one and two, and I take three, four, and five. That's a very interesting approach to 40k. I think a lot of players try to get up on early. That's an easier plan to execute when you're going second because you have that natural bottom of turn advantage. You can just kind of walk onto the objectives on turn five as long as you're alive and just score a free 12 on primary. That can be backbreaking in some missions. But if you're going first and you can't really see anything, what do you typically do? Yeah, so I think I went first against... Uh... The first Tyranid player that I played against, um, and uh, that one I also chose Cal Young. Um, I, I spread it out a little bit more um, early on. I used the Crute a little bit more aggressively. They were able to kind of score me points and kind of spread out and give me the uh, the board presence I needed. Uh, but I still, my opponent had the advantage uh, up until I think the end of turn three. Um, I still was very conservative. Just I, I have the movement, so I can I can take advantage of that in uh, the later turns. So I can still get there. I may not look like I can get there, but uh, you know, 18 inch, 16 inch movements uh, with deep strikes and redeploys is is pretty good. Usually, I find when I have first turn and when I don't want to be too committal about stuff, um, I'll throw out like a solo spawn or something cheap and, and useless out there. Is that a situation where you might use like a two man drone units or your crew? Yeah. So um, if I go first, that's that's like prime time for those gun drones and the hammerheads. Um, they just go out and they send an objective. They hold it. They get me the strangle. And now that's really their own, like the opponent's only target. And if they want to go out and shoot the gun drones, then they're going to get a basically a zero point unit. And whatever shot at them is probably going to just get killed. So that's not a great trade for my opponent. Yeah, it almost sounds like you have a free backup plan because you start the trade war for free with the drones off the hammerheads. I really love that subtlety. Did you find with your list that you basically had... A, if, did you ever have an opponent that kind of matched your situation? Like they're trying to also play the long game with you, taking the last and banners and those kinds of things. And then you... They basically played their game right back at you. Yeah, I think there was a a, a Grey Knight player that uh, that did that, um, and they were super huddled up in the corner. I was super huddled up in the corner. Um, they've got a lot of movement with uh, their teleports and their teleport shunts, and you know, shoot a Grandmaster and he teleports and make makes me sad. But 
uh, I still have the advantage with movement. I still have the deep striking capability. Um, if they're all huddled up in a corner, it only takes me about one turn to kind of get where I want to go for the next turn. So it may take a, a, a normal, you know, infantry army, you know, two to three turns to get where they want. I can get there in about one turn. Uh, and that was kind of the, the impetus to the, uh, the list design. Yeah, I gotcha. It, I feel like you have really gone super light on the small trashy units. There's like no Vespid, no Crude Hounds. You skipped Crude Hounds. How did you skip Crude Hounds? And the only two units of crew. Instead, you have way more firepower than most Talus. Did you ever miss not having that extra small stuff? Uh, well, I did play against one player that had some Crude Hound, and uh, I went and charged the Crude Hound with my crew, and then Grizzly feast, Feasted, and then my crew were uh, the superior crew, and they just sent an objective the entire game, not failing uh, Field No Pain saves. But no, I, uh, I, I knew that the GW train would favor Crisis Suits, and so I just tripled down on my Crisis Suits and said, you know what, I'm going to kill you, and you can't hold objectives if you're dead. You brought up the Vespids there. They're, they have been a unit. It's on paper. They've got like a significant glow-up. Is there... Is it, have you considered them? Have you ever tried them? Are they still, you know, off your menu? Yeah, I've played with Vespid uh, all the way up until this event. Uh, this is the first event or first uh, game I haven't used Vespid on. Um, they're they're really great. I really like Vespid, um, but I wasn't my my whole strategy this uh, this game wasn't like to piecemeal and to you know feed you a unit and then be fed a unit of these kind of throwaway units. It was basically like, can I? Can I table you? And if so, I win. And it's way easier. That's kind of why I didn't take the Vespid or any um, like stealth suits, um, because I, I, I figured that with the with just the overwhelming movement and then being able to deep strike and really um, being able to redeploy with Exemplar of Cal Young, I didn't feel like I needed those trash units because I could just out deploy my opponent by redeploying. Yeah, well, fair, fair enough right there. Uh, I guess you probably found that you had enough shooting also. Yes, I, uh, I definitely had uh, plenty of shooting. Uh, the, the burst cannons, I they were great. Uh, I'm super happy I took the burst cannons. They, they did, did great work, especially into my Eldar matchup, just being able to take some stuff down pretty easily. Just through weighted dice? Yeah, weighted dice. Um, you know, it, it really doesn't matter what your save is. You know, you take 30 saves, you're going to fail a couple uh, ones. It sounds like a lot of your list choices and how you play it really does vary match to match to match. So I'm super eager to get into part two where we literally break down the approach to it. I know we've kind of gotten to your approach to Tyranids because you played them both in the semifinals and the finals. But let's really break it down. And then, of course, we'll go over Eldar, Space Marines, and a lot of other good stuff in part two. Yeah, I think going over the uh, like the path to victory here for the tournament. I mean, you must have faced him. To, uh, can you just tell us what you faced? Uh, from round to round? Yeah, so I, I actually had an incredibly varied tournament, and I was super thankful. Uh, one, for the event. Uh, two, J Games Workshop put on a, a fantastic event. And it was really close to my home, so it was, I had the home field advantage. It was great. But yeah, my first game was a pretty enjoyable game. It was Tau v. Tau. Somewhat similar list to mine, but he went with more of the kind of throwaway units, the uh, kind of Vespid, the, the Kroot Hounds, uh, a couple more small squads. Um, he had two units of Crisis Suits, one Hammerhead, and then some Devilfish with Breachers. So he had like the three pre-move Breacher units. He went first, and that was kind of the that was super helpful for me because I could just stay away from him. And then I was able to. He presented targets, and as he presented targets, I just took down the targets. And then uh, after that, I went into a Speedwog Orcs with fifteen Deathcopters, super deadly, kind of scary list. Uh, that was an enjoyable game as well. Great, uh, great player opponent that I went into, Tyler Russo, I believe. And then uh, I went into a Null Deploy Emperor's Children list where he like was able to not deploy almost his entire force. So that was interesting. And I think he had 500 shots in on turn two. 
that he know, that he put out. Of armies here. <laughs> That's pretty. Exciting. It, it it was it was quite the variety. The wind path was uh was interesting. I was talking to my team captain about it, and I was like, "This is I've never played these armies." So it was really it was a really fun event. And then uh, round four, I got uh, gray knights. Uh, round five, I got. Uh, Chaos Knights. Round six, I got Eldar. Round seven was Tyranids, and round eight was Tyranids. It's it's pretty cool to see. You know, like we always talk about the the top armies and a lot of Tyranids, Eldar, Tau up in these conversations. But to, the path up there is uh, filled with variety and goodie bags. So I'm super eager to unpack that. Yeah, it's gonna be cool to walk down there and like real because this is fresh. This is like last weekend, so uh, a lot of experience with this probably still in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, uh, thanks for letting us uh, pick your brain here in part one. Uh, like Nick, Nick just mentioned, this is part one of a two part conversation. If you're just listening to this part, we thank you. We'll see you next week, but you do not want to miss part two. So we hopefully we see you over there in just a couple of minutes. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.